Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon was taken from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website, www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. So uh, welcome, Henriette. It's good, to, it's good to see you. Hey, after so many years. Hey, fantastic. Um, yeah, it's been, I don't know how many years. Three and a half years. Holy moly. That's amazing. Did you bring us some Texas barbecue? Oh, is it? <laughs> wow. Okay, okay, okay. So, uh, yeah, while, while we're saying hello to, to friends who are far, um, if you are listening to this, this is not for us here. If you are listening to this and you are from Moldova, please contact us, admin at venturechurch.co.za. This is not a joke. We, we're, our, our podcast goes out and um, we're, you know, the internet is an international thing, just in case you didn't know. And uh, it, uh, we get our stats for who listens to our podcasts and our most listened to nation. Like two-thirds of our listeners are from Moldova. <laughs> so, so I don't know if that's the VPNs that people are trying to like whatever listen from or whatever. I don't know any of those other acronyms or, you know, reasons for things. But if it's real and you are listening to this from Moldova, please contact us. We'd love to, to know, to know you. Um, I heard a story of uh, a church in Plet, one of our NCMR partnering churches in Plet, who had people during lockdown from Belgium somehow click into what they were doing, connected with them. They ended up flying over. Um, at some point, either they got saved there and came and spent time. Now that church in Plet is now starting to work with the guys in Belgium what? <laughs> this is a whole new world. In the words of Aladdin, a whole new world. Try not to sing that song now in your head. Come back. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> we're in the, in the book of Acts, and uh, we're just going to jump straight in. We're currently in Acts 6, verse 1 to 7. Yes. All right, let's do this. Acts 6, verse 1 to 7, this morning I'm preaching from that. It is the story of the first leaders as they get uh, put in place. Could I ask for my best bottle? Thank you, my love. My, my, my wonderful assistant. No claps, yes, you guys are. Tough crowd. Okay, let's get into this. Acts 6, verse 1 to 7. In those days, when the number of disciples were, was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained that the Hebraic Jews, because their widows, were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention 
to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is, uh, the ending is uh, one of those um, bookmarks, one of those uh, chapter endings that Francis was talking about last week that I preached on a, a while ago in the, in the structure of Acts. It helps us keep track of what is happening. What, you know, this is, it kind of ends a section and then a new section starts after, after this. So whenever you read the book of Acts and it says, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples increased, that sort of thing, you know that, okay, this was the end of something that had, had happened. What was happening here? What had happened? Well, you, you've, got, you've taken the disciples. They've gone from 12, 120 in the, uh, in the upper room. Holy Spirit comes down. 3,000 are added, so plus 3,000. Then there's a bunch of more people that are added. After that, the church continues to grow. And guess what? More people, more problems. There are more problems. The, the Hellenistic, the Greek widows were feeling like they were being disregarded, forgotten about, pushed aside, were not important anymore, overlooked. They were being overlooked in the distribution of food. Now, when two cultures come together, it's often that there are clashes. I, myself, am a quite youngish English man, and I happen to marry a beautiful youngish Afrikaans woman. I mean, we were young when we got married, right? And even though we are of the same complexion, we come from different cultures. And let me tell you, there have been some clashes along the way. I'm not going to tell you about them, because in my mind, everything is great. <laughs> also, yeah, I just can't remember stuff, so most of the time, it's like a goldfish. I'm like, ah, life is good. And just like, why? Anyway, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about if you're married. But what's happened, what happened is there are two cultures that came together, and we had to create a new culture in our own house. The same, that's what happened here. You had, they had the Jewishness and the, Gre the Greekness, which is also Jewishness, but it's not is Israelite Jewishness, and so they come together under the Lord. We're all equal, as it says. We all come together in the Lord, and we had, they had to figure out a new way of doing things. There had to be a new culture created, a kingdom culture created. And that, that battle continues throughout the, the book of Acts. So the, the disciples suggest a solution, a possible solution. They say, hey, you gather, we'll gather and say, like, this is what we think. You pick seven people. Seven people. Why seven? 
Have you asked yourself that? Why seven? Because it's the Lord's perfect number. No, but there were 12, and they picked seven. Like that, uh, the only research I could find was that a Jewish council would have seven people. That was the only justification that I found for having seven. They chose, they chose seven. What were the qualifications for these seven? They had to be from among you. Choose from among you seven. It's important that our leadership, when we lead, we lead from being among the people. Being among the people. They were among the people. They had a good reputation. They were full of the Holy Spirit. And they were full of wisdom. And they were responsible they weren't just up in the clouds. They were responsible. Hmm. Why? Why did they need to do this? It was so that the, the, the apostles didn't get bogged down with the ordinary things, the things that needed to, to happen. And not just that, not they were like, oh, this is beneath us. No, it's so that they could spend more time praying and more time with the ministry of the word. It was not for more activity, but for more seeking that this happened. How did they do it? They laid on hands. They prayed for them. It's amazing that there is such a spiritualness that happens. There's all the spiritual talk so that these guys could wait tables. I was a waiter for a little bit. It's not a spiritual activity. You take food from the kitchen to the table. That's it. <laughs> they had a list of widows. They would have taken food to them. Uber is not a spiritual activity. And yet, there seems to be this spiritualness attached to it. Choose men who are full of the Holy Spirit so that they can give food out. Like, why? Why is that? <laughs> it's because character matters. In the kingdom of God, character matters. So even though this was a spiritual act, <laughs> even though, yeah, what, is, what does it say? Oh, there you go. It's a spiritual act even for an ordinary responsibility. Sure, that's clever. <laughs> what was the result of this whole thing? The result was that the word of God spread, disciples were added, and even priests were added. This is a big deal in the Jewish culture. This is really a big deal. These priests, their lives, their, their livelihood came from them being priests. They weren't just sub clicking subscribe, following someone else. They had changed masters, which meant that their whole lives would have needed to change. This was not a small thing. This wasn't like, oh, I think I'll start to go to church on Sunday. Oh, I've got nothing else to do on a Sunday. Let me do that. I can sit and be cold in a hall. Yay, with other people. That's not what happened here. Priests were added. That was their life. They turned away from that and turned to Jesus. 
This was powerful. This was powerful. And it was only after the seven were put in place. What happened to these seven? The magnificent seven. <laughs> For your Western fans. Well, Stephen, you read, read a little bit on in the book of Acts. Stephen becomes the first martyr. Philip the evangelist, we heard from Jared uh, two weeks ago, becomes an evangelist and, and sees cities changed. He also has a legacy of faith because later on in Acts, you see that his daughters prophesy. His daughters are prophetic. Procurus is said to have become the bishop of Nicomedia in modern Turkey. Nicanor was martyred. Timon became a bishop in Arabia. Parmenius preached in Asia Minor and was eventually martyred in Philippi. Nicholas from Antioch. Antioch plays a significant role in the book of Acts. It's where Christians were first called Christians. It was not a good thing. It was a bad thing. Little Christ, little crucified ones, right? That was not a, it was a mark of shame, and yet the Christians wore it. We wore it. Yes, we are Christians. It was, that, it was also from that church that Paul and Barnabas were sent, first sent on their missionary journeys in Acts 13. So what can we learn from this passage? Don't worry, there's more to the sermon. We're not like, I know it sounds like we're just landing. We're not landing now. <laughs> okay, anyway. Too soon, sure. Um, what can we learn from this passage of Scripture? We can learn that complaints done right will lead to change, opportunity, and growth. Complaints done right. The issue is not the complaint. The issue is how you do it. When there's people, people are always going to be imperfect. I know you think you're amazing, but I also know that you, you know that you're not. <laughs> when people are involved, it is always going to be imperfect, which means there are always going to be problems. There are always going to be complaints. The complaints done right will lead where, where am I? Will lead to change, opportunity, and growth. Miriam complained badly in Exodus. It was bad. These guys complained well. No, Miriam. Moses' sister. Read your Bible, you Lindy. <laughs> And cultural cue, <laughs> cue argument in the car. No, I'm just saying, no, it's not, it's not like that, no. What else can we see in this passage of Scripture? Leadership is a response to ethnic and cultural issues. Bless you. <laughs> we also see that you are before you are recognized. You are before you are recognized. Remember that in this part of Acts, nothing else had happened yet. They had no backing before this. They had nothing to go back on. They just used what they knew. So Jewish council, okay, we need extra leaders. Okay, let's add seven. By the way, they were all Greek leaders. They were all Greek names. It was a Greek issue. They helped them. 
to speak into their culture, into that culture to help with the issues. But they were before they were recognized. They weren't looking for a title. They just were. They were just being. Choose from you among you. What does that mean? That means that our responsibility is just to pursue Jesus with all that we have, to be obedient to him and step into all that he has for us. Don't wait for someone to ask you to come. Just do it. Just be. Just hear from the Lord and do what he says. That's what they were doing. They weren't seeking a title. They weren't seeking attention. They were just doing it. And then what happened? Atten- like Recognition came. Interestingly enough, they kept doing what they were doing after they were recognized as well. It didn't stop them. The title, the recognition didn't stop them from continuing in what God had already started in them. We also see that the qualifications well outside the role, uh, well outshine the role, that character matters. It's so spiritual, yet the task is so ordinary. Why? Why does character matter? Why does that need to happen? Why, does it, why is it important? Because people will only accept your gifting for a little while. It's your character that will keep your gift being good. Character helps people receive your gift. Gifting is great, and you can be super gifted, but unless you walk in a a godly character, your gift will only take you so far. Mark Dever said that good leadership is a gift of God for the blessing of his people. The people were blessed in this passage. We see that there was more disciples added. We also don't hear of this issue happening again. They sorted some stuff out. They made some things happen. They made some decisions. Things moved forward. Good leadership is a gift of God for the blessing of his people. So leadership is a great subject and it's a great biblical subject, but it's not often mentioned directly. It is, but it's not. But it is, but it's not. It's there. It's definitely there, but it's not often clear. But there is two main ways that the New Testament talks of leading. It talks of shepherd leading, shepherding, shepherd leadership, and servant leadership. And Jesus speaks about these. Jesus speaks about shepherd leadership in John 10 and in John 13. He talks about servant leadership. Shepherd leadership, what does that look like? And why does this matter? It matters because actually, this is what Jesus intended for us. And I do say for us, and we'll get there as to why, but we, shepherd leadership and servant leadership. Shepherd leadership, Jesus takes us back to a David style of leadership. David, who wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, who shepherded God's people, who had, just like these guys, had been faithful behind the scenes before there was any recognition. Jesus takes us back to that in 
in John 10. I, I really encourage you to go and read it for yourself. I've taken these points from that portion of Scripture. That we are to lead towards Jesus as leaders, as shepherd lead, leaders. Good leadership needs good followership. When we are leading the way Jesus wants us to lead, when we are shepherding his people, we are following him, the great shepherd. You never, never, ever, never, ever outlive that truth. Good leadership needs good followership. Shepherd leadership is accountability and process. In shepherd leadership, you're known by the sheep and the gatekeepers. In other words, you're among the people. A good shepherd leader will know his voice and follow him. A shepherd leader, a shepherd leads his sheep to new ground, to new pastures. A shepherd leader opens doors for the people that are following him. A shepherd leader is willing to sacrifice for the sheep. There is a sacrifice that is required. Remember, Jesus is our example always. And Jesus sacrificed. He did. He didn't even stay in fancy hotels. <laughs> he just walked around, preached the word, did what the Father wanted him to. What is servant leadership? Servant leadership, obviously Jesus is our example in all of these things. This is the, in uh, John 13, it's Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. He says that no servant is greater than his master, than their master. We cannot expect that we won't have the same things happen to us. Or we can't expect a different way when Jesus has led this way. Jesus washes the feet of everyone. And he even washes the feet of Judas. The one who betrayed him, the one who, who stabbed him in the back, the one who, who went against him, who spoke against him, who, who betrayed him. He even washes his feet. That's what it means to be a servant leader. We need to have mercy and grace for others, even when, especially when they've come against us. And we need Jesus to help us. Servant leadership is for the good of others, not for personal gain. And Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, where he talks about companies that are good, moving, becoming great companies, said the key, one of the keys is servant leadership. So this is a good biblical principle that can be effective in your world. These seven are often for, referred to as deacons. Now, to, to nitpick a little, we didn't read the word deacons anywhere. Now, the, word, the Greek word deacon means to serve, so you can read it back into it, but actually they weren't, they weren't deacons. Maybe your Bible has a little title that says the first deacons it's cool, but it's not there. It's actually not there. The problem is, when we see that as the first deacons, we can go, 
Oh, it's just for them. It's for the deacons. We too, we're too title orientated. We're too like, oh, oh, it's, the, it's for them. It's for the professionals. It's for the guys who are up front. It's for, no, like actually the word is not there. Like I do think that they were the, the, the template for what became deacons, okay? But the word is not there, which means that actually this is not for the deacons. This is for the people. This is for us. So let's look at what it means to be a deacon quickly. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 to 12 says this, here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer, that's actually the word for elder, but stay, track with me, track with me, I know you guys are clever, you can do this, we've got this, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task, now the overseer or elder is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Just above reproach means to be in a man, a person of integrity. That means that your yes is your yes, your no is your no. It means that when people try to stick something on, it's, it doesn't. <laughs> when they accuse you of something, it's, it's unfounded because you are above reproach. It means that how you talk matters. Your language is important. Where were we? He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must, must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders. I hope you're seeing what was required of the, the, the seven in this. He must have a good reputation with outsiders so he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way deacons are, oh, there, there's it, in the same way deacons okay so we've got qualifications for elders these are the things that qualify an elder and now we go oh, in the same way deacons so deacons and we'll read it now deacons the standard is the same okay okay track with me in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest honest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and if there is nothing against them, they must let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. The standard for a deacon is the same as the standard for an elder. The standard for both of those, Yolanda and I talk about this often, is actually the standard for a normal Christian. 
the normal Christian life should be marked by those things. Unfortunately, we defer to titles. This is for them. When actually, <laughs> we allow the, title, the titles to dictate how we live out our Christianity within the church. We've outsourced ministry and leadership to the professionals. And that is not what Jesus had in mind for his church. And that is not what, see, he came to bring a new covenant, a new way. That was part of the old way, the way the priests used to do it. The priests were the professionals. In fact, all they did was they were born and then they had to learn. That was it. And then they did it. In the old covenant, you could outsource your repentance. You could outsource your sacrifice. You could outsource all of that. But in the new covenant, you stand before God alone, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Jesus had in mind a priesthood of all believers, not a priesthood of professionals. A priest is one who represents God to man and man to God. The new covenant has a new temple, has a new way, it has a new temple. Who is the temple? Sorry, what? We are. You carry the Lord, the Holy Spirit inside of you. You are the new temple. And we have been called to be priests. To be leaders in our homes, in our schools, our workplaces, our universities, and even in our church. Let's quickly look at the priesthood, what Jesus did in the, the Gospels. He took ordinary men, ordinary, not born into the line of, Ab of Aaron, not priests. He took ordinary men, partnering with them, and did the Father's work. How did he do that? He taught them. He trained them. He gave them opportunity. Brought them back. He taught and trained some more. Then he empowered them with his spirit and sends them out. To what? To do the same. To teach, to train, to raise up, to release, to teach, to train, to raise up, to release. How many thousands of years later we're still doing that? Teaching, training, raising up. Why? Because this is what God has put in place. This is what Jesus has in mind for his church. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 to 10, but you are a chosen people. Amen. Hey, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. There's it, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Romans 15 verse 16 says that the priestly duty is to proclaim the gospel. Who is 
responsible to proclaim this gospel, this good news? <laughs> we are. And that is a priestly duty. We are priests. Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, their prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Just go into the next one. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as... Each part does its work. Who does the equipping? The gifts do the equipping. The apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors. They do the equipping. Who does the work? We do. The people do the work. You cannot outsource your Christianity. We are the ones that do the work. We get encouraged by the gifts, by the prophecy, by the, by the prophetic. So that the, the, the role of a prophet should not just be to prophesy, but to raise up prophets. We read that there. But what happens if those are not stepping into? What if we, if we don't step into prophesying? What happens? We're not helping the body become mature. We're not working the way we should. body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Each part doing its work. That's us working together, stepping into all that God has for us. When we let the professionals do the work of ministry, we are promoting the old covenant and not the new one. See, even the priests were impressed with how they worked. Even those professional priests, they didn't come in and go, don't worry, don't worry, Peter, I've got this. <laughs> no, they saw it and went, oh my word, this is how it's supposed to be. And they forgot. They turned away and turned to Jesus. What am I saying? The story of the seven should cause us to want to live like them and lead like them from where we are. So that if there's ever an issue, if there's ever something that needs to happen, if there's ever something that comes up, guess what? We are there to step in the gap. Christianity is not a professional sport. Everyone gets to play, as John Wimber says. Everyone gets to play.
So the challenge for us is twofold. The challenge for us is to give more to God, not less, and to step in to all that he has for us. This morning, I feel like God has already laid the platform for all of this. We're talking about the body, the rattling. We sang about the rattling, the coming together of things, the movement. Why? For his glory. There was a surrendering that happened. Giving more to God, not less. Why? Yes, for your own growth, but for others. As servant leaders, shepherding, loving people, stepping into what God has for us. Can we stand? Can we close our eyes? Lord Jesus, God, we thank you for your work in, in our lives. God, we thank you that you're real, that you're true. God, that you work no matter what is going on around us, you continue to work in us. You continue to draw us closer to yourself, helping us step in to what you have for us. And there is grace and there is mercy. God, we thank you that we can turn back to you when we stray off the path. But God, right now, right now, God, I pray that we would Give more of ourselves to you. God, that we would let go, that we would step in to something new, to something more, because of who you are. Jesus, right now, in this moment, We surrender to you. Just while everyone's eyes are closed, just have a, have a moment with God. Just talk to him. God, we want to be like these seven. God, who live our lives 100% for you. God, that at any moment, 
God, we would be good witnesses of you. God, that we would live our whole lives stepping into your calling. That we would not outsource our Christianity, we would not outsource our leadership, but our worlds would be affected by your gifting that you've given us. Holy King, we thank you that you're good, that you have good things for us. And God, we pray that you would cause us to be good for our worlds. We surrender to you, not less, but more for your glory. And God, we step in to what you have for us. I pray, Jesus, that we would get opportunities to step in. Even in this week, God, to step in to to be a witness, to step in to to prophesy, to step in to pray for someone, to step in to to help help about any ethnical issues or, or moral issues, God, to have conversations, God. I thank you that you have placed us where we are so that we can shine your light there. So God, move in us as we seek to see you move in others. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. We would love to know how this message spoke to you. Please connect with us through our website, www.venturechurch.co.za or through our various social channels.